Hey, really quick before we get started, please remember to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and drop a review for me. That'd be great. You can also check me out at rhitch.com. That's R-H-I-T-C-H. As a reminder, everything said in this episode is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions alone. All statements regarding companies made are strictly beliefs or points of view held by myself or my guests and not a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any securities. Myself or my guests may or may not maintain positions in securities discussed. All right, so there's a lot of volatility still going on in the markets. In fact, at the time of this recording, the S&P 500 just had the worst start of the year um, in over 50 years. And the NASDAQ actually had the worst start, I believe, ever. So, you know, still some crazy times. Then, you know, on top of that, there's concerns about the economy. Lots of conversations around recession. Are we one in one this year? Or when is it coming? And what does that mean for personal investors? Um, talks about interest rates, uh, housing markets, um, supply chain, you name it, there's wars, can't forget that one. Um, lots of headwinds going on. So, you know, my job is always just trying to talk about these things and get away from the headlines. I mean, we all pick up our phones here and um, you see a bunch of negative headlines all, all the time. So, you know, let's really dig underneath those headlines, look at some data um, and try to see what's really going on to get a clear picture of things. Um, so today I, I have a, a conversation with an economist. So um, I have Bryce Gill on today um, and he works for First Trust. He's part of their economic team and first trust is uh, Bloomberg rated uh, consistently over the last few years as one of the top forecasters of the US economy so they've done a very good job on that Bryce is responsible for analyzing economic indicators he he writes economic blogs and outputs for them and then he does a lot of speaking uh, nationally on that stuff as well so he's a great resource um, he holds an MBA from the Texas School a Macomb School of Business and a BA in economics from Miami University. So a great background in um, this field. Um, so I ask him a lot of questions um, about those uh, comments and concerns I just mentioned before. So I think it's a great uh, piece of uh, knowledge for everyone watching this. Um, so, you know, First Trust is a great partner of mine in my business and, you know, looking forward to hearing this. So with that being said, let's get into it. All right, so I have Bryce Gill here. Hey, Bryce, how you doing? I'm doing well, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. So like I said in my introduction, Bryce is the economist from First Trust. So I'm really excited to have you, know, you on here, Bryce, and giving us a little rundown of, you know, on this crazy kind of 2022 we're experiencing multiple um, headwinds going on in the market and the economy. And um, so I'll kind of just turn it over to you. I know you might have some things to to uh, show us on a, on some slides in a presentation, giving us some background of the economy and, and market. And um, maybe we'll talk about some questions as we go through. How does that sound? Well, that sounds great, Ryan. And, um, you know, obviously we're in a we're in a weird position here in 2022. Right. You know, not only do we have inflation like this for the first time in 40 years, but it's also happening in the backdrop of you know, a lot of geopolitical tension. We've got a war in Europe. We've got, you know, supply chain problems that are completely, you know, they're widespread still, right? I mean, that was yeah. what was supposed to be the transitory part of inflation was supply chains were going to have their little, you know, temporary right. issues while we reopened and all that. And you know, here we are two years later 
And, you know, it started out with the toilet paper, right? And, and you know, now today it's it's tampons and it's baby formula and it's, you know, just go down the list, right? Every day there's something new. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I've been telling clients and it's, we've all obviously experienced some sort of supply chain issue and, you know, only us geeks maybe talking in, uh, uh, you know, the past couple of years ever even knew supply chain or inflationary numbers. Now everybody, that's the first thing they ever hear about when they open the uh, newspaper or their cell phones or watch, you know, the news at all on TV. It's, those are the top things we're all talking about. So um, it's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I guess today what I kind of want to cover is just, you know, inflation, how it kind of got here, you know, what caused it, how long is it probably going to last? Because I, I think that's the, the biggest thing on most people's minds. And at least for me personally, I think, you know, inflation and its impact on interest rates is the main reason we're having this bear market in equities, why, you know, bonds have had their worst year on record as well. Uh, so cover that. And then you know, just talk a little bit about if we're going to have a recession or not this year. And and kind of some implications for, for the markets. Uh, and we'll kind of wrap there. And, you know, if you have anything along the way, feel free to interject. Yeah. Let's, you know, yeah, make yeah that, that's perfect. That's what I want to be able to share with, with uh, our clients. And um, so feel free, if you need to share your screen, you should be able to there. Okay. Yeah. looks like I can. So I'll go ahead and pull up, uh, you know, my first slide here. Okay. And, and let's talk a little bit about inflation. And I think everybody's heard the saying too much money chasing too few goods. Right. And, it's funny, people really try to make inflation so much more complicated than that. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of times for political reasons, frankly. Oh, yeah. uh, but, you know, really during the pandemic, when you think about it, we kind of blew both sides of this equation, right? Not only did we shut everything down and disrupt the global trading system, but and, you know, resulting in less goods and services, but, you know, we also printed up $5 trillion, right? So I, I kind of want to cover both sides of this because, you know, I think both sides are going to be critical uh, in the question of, hey, how do we get back to normal, which is, you know, pre-pandemic, that was like 2% inflation. We're currently at yeah. 8.5%, right? Uh, and so I want to start off, you know, maybe on on some of the bad news or, or some one of the things that kind of has me the most worried about inflation and, um, you know, a reason why, hey, maybe it's going to be tough to get back to 2% CPI in the next couple of years and the way I kind of like to tell people my outlook on inflation is, you know, short term, I'm kind of an optimist. I think we're going to make progress this year for sure. Okay. Uh, and I'll get into that in my next slide. But this slide right here is the reason why I think, hey, you know, it's it's going to be a while before we get back to that 2% CPI that we all kind of got used to over the past several decades. And, and what this slide is, okay, is I, I just added up imports and exports for the United States and I've adjusted that data for inflation. And so a good way to think about this line is it's actually a good proxy for the number of goods crossing the U.S. border or even, you know, I like to think of it as globalization. It's okay. a proxy line for globalization. And, you know, this goes back to 1960, but really since the end of World War II, globalization has been on the upswing. If there has been a long-term trend that's been going on, it's been globalization. Uh, right, more and more trade, lower and lower tariffs, uh, you know, more and more goods crossing borders. And obviously there's downsides to globalization. You know, we've all been dealing with those in the past couple of years here, you know, the supply chain problems and things like that. But when we talk about inflation, from that perspective, I think globalization is almost a, a unitary positive. I mean, you know, what does globalization do well? It makes things cheap, right? Yeah. And it does that in a couple ways. 
You get access to all the cheap labor and materials abroad. And on top of that, you've got global firms competing with each other, mostly on price. And so globalization helps make things affordable. It keeps prices low. It keeps a lid on inflation. Globalization has been on an upswing for 70, 80 years. This upswing kind of comes to an end after 08, 09, the financial crisis. Okay. We've been kind of plateaued ever since. And recently, just all the craziness that's been going on the past few years has me worried that, you know, we could really see a, a decline in globalization uh, in the future here. I mean, that would not be outside the realm of possibility at all. And, you know, those factors for me, kind of what I'm thinking is, first, it's Donald Trump gets elected. He changes the consensus towards free trade in Washington, D.C. The United States has been the biggest champion of lower tariffs and more free trade deals and more globalization for you know, a very long time. And so we kind of did a 180. You know, it's not just a Donald Trump thing, right? Joe Biden's in office now. All those tariffs are still in place. Mm -hmm. The trade war with China is still ongoing. We don't really talk about it, right? Because we had better things to think about. Yeah, yeah, but that, that's good. Years. That's a good point. That That is still going on. That was huge news two years ago, a year and a half ago. Yep, exactly right. Yeah, we were, we were tracking on like a monthly basis, right? If China was <laughs> buying enough agricultural goods or something like that. Yeah. Now we don't even think about it anymore. Uh, but you know, the biggest proponent of free trade has kind of left the room. The United States is no longer championing this, which tells me protectionism is kind of on the rise. Higher tariffs, yep. uh, this can all be you know, an impediment to, to, to you know, more and more trade, obviously. Then we get the COVID pandemic. Outside of a world war, this it's hard to think of really another event in history that's had such a a major impact on how businesses think about their supply chains, right? The status quo has been make it abroad for cheaper, mm -hmm. boost your profit margins, make things affordable for consumers. That's what we've done for, for decades and decades, right? And yeah. obviously that system works pretty well if you can reliably load a ship on one side of the planet and offload it on the other side of the planet on time in the just-in-time in inventory system that's very efficient. Uh, the problem is, if all of a sudden you have a rolling series of public health shutdowns all over the world, you know, if even one factory in the supply chain for, you know, in this case, let's say cars, if one factory, you know, the, the semiconductor fabrication plant in Taiwan shuts down, the entire supply chain for cars is disrupted. Right. And so you're now hearing businesses talk a lot more about reshoring manufacturing, building redundancy into the, the, the supply chain. Uh, you know, basically, we got caught with our pants down during this pandemic. And, you know, businesses are trying to find a way to, to rebuild yeah, things. Scrambling. Um, and the last one here is obviously the, the war in Ukraine. And you know, I, I think most Americans when they initially heard about the invasion and, and the sanctions and all of that, they kind of just shrugged their shoulders and said to themselves, Hey, who cares? You know, what do I, I don't buy anything from Russia. You yeah. know, when was the last time, you know, you bought a, a car or a washing machine from Russia, right? Nobody buys Russian consumer products. Yeah. Uh, but this kind of misunderstands what Russia's role in the world is, or what, at least what it was, you know, pre February of, of 2022 and that is commodity superpower. Yeah. They produce all of the inputs for modern life. I mean, everything from oil and gas to fertilizer to agricultural goods to industrial metals to, you know, we're 
everybody loves Tesla and we're talking more and more about going green and building electric cars. You know, 20% of the nickel in your lithium ion battery came out of the ground in Russia. And yeah. so we're, we're already dealing with all these supply chain problems. Uh, and then we have these sanctions. We kick Russia out of the markets. Yeah. This is another huge shock to supply that's going to take years and years to, 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 to rectify. You know, I mean, let's just imagine right now that you could wave a magic wand and all of the permitting and environmental rules and whatever else in the United States disappeared, right? And you could get your mine approved. Yep. You know, how many years would it take under that ideal scenario to dig a mine and start, you know, bringing lithium to market or something like that in, in you know, in Nevada? It would take years, right? You're yep. talking about five to 10 years to get that operation off the ground. And so this hole in the supply chain is not going to be fixed you know, overnight. And this is kind of one of the reasons why uh, I, I'm worried about the global supply chain, the global trading system. You know, who knows if China and Russia are going to get together and, and form a new kind of economic block over there, right? Uh, they're certainly not going to sit on their hands in time out and just kind of think about what they've done. They're going to act strategically, right? And so a, a decline in globalization is is the big risk for inflation, at least in my opinion, uh, it's going to take take years to solve. And so getting back to 2% CPI with all these supply problems, you know, the too few goods uh, problem, which is going to be ongoing, is going to be a big challenge. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, hey, inflation is probably going to stay higher than we all want it to uh, for a while. Oh, that's a, that's a good recap. And I guess, you know, I'm always trying to relate it uh, for my clients and the everyday person. You know, and, and a lot of inflation is always being talked about maybe being controlled by the Fed. And what you're saying is, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, that that just can't just be the Fed. There's a lot of other factors going on. And, and what you're saying here is that the supply chain, the old supply and demand drives inflation. And the supply side of this is 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 going to be impacted for some time. Right. Is that what I'm hearing from you? Yeah, you know, that's totally right. You know, we always talk about the Fed kind of coming to the rescue with inflation and and, and all that they can control is the demand side of supply and demand. Uh, and we'll talk about the Fed on the next slide here. It's actually one of the reasons why I'm kind of a short-term optimist on inflation. Okay. But yeah, the bottom line is, you know, the Federal Reserve can't do anything about Chinese lockdowns, a war in Ukraine, the global supply chain, you know, on and on, right? Yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, really you can even kind of make the case that, we have to make all these big capital intensive investments in infrastructure or, you know, mining operations or reshoring, you know, some of the supply chain to the United States. These are all going to take, you know, a large amount of money. And typically these projects are the ones that are financed over a long period of time. As interest rates rise, they're going to impact the investment in these kind of uh, projects more so than, you know, uh, less expensive, shorter term projects uh, okay. would be affected by rising rates, right? Yeah. So you could almost see the long-term perspective being uh, some of these Fed interest rate hikes might end up being counterproductive from the supply perspective. Interesting, interesting. So, you know, with that being said, okay, that's kind of, I, I guess, the more dour outlook. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think it's, it's important to give that 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 perspective, okay? Uh, because, you know, every obviously people know everything's not hunky-dory out there. It, it's a crazy <laughs> economy, right? Yeah. If I just got on this, this and told you guys, hey, everything's great, you know, buy stocks, everything's going to work out. 
uh, people I don't think wouldn't would buy that because it's just not true, right? We're going through some challenges. That being said, okay, and, and by the way, I think you should buy stocks and you should be investing. Yeah, um, and we'll talk more about that. Um, but you know, let's talk about some reasons to be sort of short-term optimistic about inflation, and that's the too much money side of too much, you know, too much money chasing too few goods, right? And so this chart is what the Fed can control. Hey there, it's your host, Ryan here. Just wanted to interrupt for a quick sec. If you work with a financial advisor, financial planner, investment professional of the likes, you have to ask yourself, are they going the extra mile for you? Are they digging into the economy like I'm doing here with these interviews so I can better understand this economy and the markets for my clients eventually? Or is your advisor giving you cookie cutter advice? It never hurts to get a second opinion, a second set of eyes on your financial plans or investment strategies. So head on over to my website, rhitch.com. That's R-H-I-T-C-H.com. Click on the work with me tab. It's up on the right hand corner there and set up a complimentary consultation and let's have a conversation. All right, that's it for me. Let's get back to the rest of the interview. Okay, and, and at least so far, it looks like things are going in sort of a positive direction here. And, and what this is, is the M2 money supply percent change year over year. Now, you know, what is the M2 money supply? Why, why should people care about this? Um, you know, it's kind of this esoteric economic indicator. So, you know, why do we care about this in economics? Well, M2 is the money in circulation. It's very likely to be used in a commercial transaction. It's dollars that are going to get used to buy something. Okay. And so think about checking account balances, savings account balances, money market fund balances. You know, we talk about CPI inflation, for example, we don't care how many dollars are sitting in a bank vault somewhere because they're not going to get used to buy anything. And so I think this is a big reason why, for example, so many people were calling for hyperinflation after 0809, you know, by the way, we were telling them it wasn't going to happen. The reason why is, hey, we printed a lot of money up, just like we did during COVID. Uh, but that money just kind of went to the banks. It kind of sat in their excess reserves. It was used for capital ratios. It never got lent out. It never got used to buy anything. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, you look at which was the, a the big, M2. So, sorry, Aaron, which was a, you know, maybe the everyday person doesn't really understand. So like in, in 08, 09, I mean, a ton of like TARP money at the time, I believe it was called, was sent out directly to the banks. Whereas 2020 pandemic hits, ton of money gets sent out directly to, you know, everyday person, right? And that's what you're talking about. Hit the M2 money supply. Yeah, I, I think that's like the perfect synopsis. Is exactly okay. what happened. And, and, you know, you see M2 doesn't really move that much no, from a yeah, historical okay. perspective uh, during this time visual. period, right? Yeah. And, and so, and, and normal, by the way, is like that 60-year average. I just put a line there for everybody's reference. Okay. So that's six. But if you come over to 2020... And just like you were saying, Ryan, you know, hey, we sent out all these, this, we printed up, uh, you know, $5 trillion or whatever it was. And instead of giving it to the banks, we gave it directly to people through stimulus checks, PPP loans, boosted unemployment benefits. Mm -hmm. And so the dollars in circulation skyrockets, right? It, you know, it's the fastest growth rate in the money supply we've ever seen in modern U.S. history. Uh, cumulatively, and you can see that on this chart, obviously. Yeah. Cumulatively, you know, the number of dollars in circulation has increased by 50% since pre-pandemic, right? So fewer goods, a lot more dollars chasing those goods. This is kind of what's driving inflation here. 
the good news uh, on the money side of things, okay, is you can see the growth rate in the money supply has been rapidly falling. It's back below what I would call normal, okay? And so what that tells me is we're raising interest rates. We've stopped sending out checks. We've stopped printing money. Uh, the monetary tailwind to inflation is slowing down, okay? And so this is the Fed controlling demand. This is what it can actually control, right? They can't control the war in Ukraine, but yep. they can control how many dollars are out there. That's their whole job. And it seems like they're moving in the right direction. The data on this front is actually pretty positive and tells me that, hey, we're not gonna get back to 2% this year, but we're not gonna stay at 8.5% either. You know, I think we get back to 5, 6% CPI by the end of 2022. That's that's a very realistic goal. And that's kind of what we're looking for internally. Okay. And, and by the way- That's I great that's, information. And that's this is like brand new because this these numbers just came out, right? Like we're recording- yep, yeah on the 30th, what is it, the 30th of June. And like these numbers just got reported. What is this, like on a Wednesday, this Wednesday? So this yeah, is like all... two days ago. Okay. Yep. Yeah, and so, you know, why, why does this matter? Why does progress on, you know, we don't have to get back to 2%. If you're kind of looking for, you know, hey, what, what's what's something that will get the market to have a durable rebound? Yeah. You know, we, we've kind of had a, a couple rallies, but then we end up just sinking back down again. We're stuck below 4,000 on the S&P 500. <laughs> I think a big part of this is we just need to see some progress on inflation. You know, we, we got a bad CPI report last month. The, uh, there was kind of this narrative going around that, hey, we're at peak CPI. It's going to start falling. And, you know, one bad report happens. That narrative falls apart. And, <laughs> you know, interest rates surge by like 50 basis points, which is a lot yeah. uh, in, in like three days. And, and so... This caused the market to take another leg down. What we need to see is three, four months of consistent slowdown in inflation. We just need to see some progress out there. And what that does is it takes a lot of pressure off of the Fed and kind of expectations of how many rate hikes they're going to do. And when that happens, long-term interest rates fall. And so, you know, I think the 10 years back to like 3%, back to where it was before that bad CPI report came out. But the problem is, hey, interest rates bouncing around like this is causing massive amounts of volatility in the market, right? And yeah. so until we see inflation get under control, I think we're kind of stuck below the uh, the former all-time high. We're just going to be trading around in a range below it. To really get a, a durable new kind of bull market or recovery here, we need to see inflation get under control or just at least some progress towards that. I, and I think we will see that by the end of this year. Okay, that's great information. Um and so like Bryce, maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but, you know, I get a lot of questions on, you know, this inflation, obviously, and this is great news to, to, to hear about uh, may, hopefully making some progress moving forward. But do, what is your view on like stagflation and anything in regards to that? Like those kind of go hand in hand with, you know, the big, big reports and the CPI coming out, you know, last month. And then there's all this talk of Q1 being uh, negative GDP. What, what are your kind of views there? Yeah. So stagflation, you know, really what, what this word came from is there was this idea back in the day of the Phillips curve. Okay. And this all comes from Keynesian economics. And the idea was, you know, you can either have high unemployment, or you can have high inflation. The, you know, the, the idea being basically, hey, when people have, you know, are employed and they're, they're earning money and they've got money to spend, 
you know, that's where inflation comes from. And so if a bunch of people are unemployed, you know, then you're not going to have inflation, right? And so yeah. there, there's kind of a, a trade-off between the two. This was okay. kind of the, the traditional idea. Uh, and so Keynesian economics was very dominant after World War II. Everybody kind of was buying into this until we got to the 1970s. And all of a sudden you've got rising unemployment. And at the same time, you've got high inflation, inflation. as well. Okay. And, and so, and then there's, you know, there's recessions thrown there in there as well. And you know, overall, the economy did expand during the 1970s, but in fits and starts. And so sure. stagflation was, you know, basically a term that came out of the monetarists, Milton Friedman, kind of the other camp that was uh, disagreeing with the Keynesians at a base level and basically pointed out and said, hey, listen, your whole theory has basically been disproven because we have both high unemployment and high inflation right now. And so when I look at the U.S. economy today, okay, what I see is high inflation, but I also see extremely low unemployment, right? And yeah. so it's not it's not the traditional version of stagflation uh, that we're seeing today. It really is more of a boomflation problem, right? We we flip the economy it's like light switch back on. Yeah, everybody's getting back to normal. They want to travel. They want to spend money, uh, and at the same time, you know, some of these supply issues, like I pointed out in that first slide. Are just going to take a while to be, you know, to work themselves out or, you know, be fixed. And so, I think we have more boomflation right now than we have stagflation. At least when we look at like the really strong labor market. Yeah. Now, obviously, we got a negative Q1 GDP report. Um, you know, we just got data this morning that caused the Atlanta Fed to revise its its Q2 estimate into the negative as well. So, you know, there are a lot of people that are worried about uh, a technical recession happening in 2022. Now, I'll say I, I don't think there's going to be one that happens. I'll kind of save the, the recession, uh, that my argument for that, uh, for like a, a couple slides from now when we get sure. into the details on GDP. Yeah. Uh, but bottom line is I don't see this as stagflation, at least no, not yet. If that... we start seeing unemployment rise and things like that, that's where I'd get more worried. Okay. No, that's, that's great input. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, let's talk about, uh, you know, there's obviously negatives for inflation, right? You know, negatives from the money printing and things like that. And that, that's the inflation that we're, we've been talking about. Um, you know, everybody hates inflation. I'm not a political scientist, but from as far as I can tell, it's one of the most bipartisan hated things yeah. uh, in U.S. politics. It really is political kryptonite. You know, it, it tanked Nixon. It tanked Jimmy Carter. It looks like it's going to tank Joe Biden. OK, so people hate inflation. It's it's terrible from a political aspect. Uh, it's it's a, a hated thing. Yeah. But, you know, there is actually kind of a silver lining from inflation right now. And, and that's really strong U.S. consumers. Okay? OK. And so to illustrate this, what I've got on the screen is U.S. personal income. This is aggregate data. So think of all the wages and salaries, all the dividend income. If you own a rental property, rental income, it's all in that blue line. Okay. And then I've included a kind of a long-term trend line there, which is just there for a basis of comparison. You know, basically let's assume there's never a, a recession or a pandemic or whatever, which isn't realistic, but you know, it's just there again to compare to. Sure. Uh, and so if you look at 08, 09, you see what happens in pretty much every recession, which is, Hey, millions of people become unemployed. They're no longer earning income, right? And yeah. when people don't have income, they do less consumer spending. Businesses don't invest because there's not demand. 
It's the classic downward spiral that we call a recession. Yeah, yeah, that's right? what everybody so that's thinks of. What a recession sense. looks like in U.S. history. Um, and, and so, you know, if you look at the blue line, it's below the orange line for ten years. Yeah, you know, this is one of the reasons why, for example, you know, that recovery felt terrible to everybody. It was the slowest <laughs> since World War II or the Great Depression. I mean, you know, yeah, all around just a bad recovery, right? Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. And so, yeah. And so what's interesting as well is, you know, you come over to 2020 and 2021 and you see just how polar opposite this this recession was from 08, 09. And by the way, we had three times the job losses during the pandemic that we had in 08, 09, 24 million people versus eight and a half million. OK. Dang. And despite that, personal income in the United States never fell during this pandemic. It surged multiple times. And you can see the individual spikes there. Those are all the big stimulus programs from the federal government. Collectively, we spent $5 trillion. It's about, by the way, what we spent on all of World War II in inflation-adjusted terms, right? So that's a lot of dollars out there. And we already covered the money side of it. Uh, but, you know, most people, uh, including me, I, I thought, hey, these stimulus checks stopped going out the door. And, you know, that's basically the end of, uh, you know, uh, the big boom in consumer spending, retail sales are going to fall, you know, corporate earnings are going to fall. Uh, and that just ended up being wrong. And the reason why is the Fed stopped sending out checks, but the economy, you know, started opening up, right? States starting with like Florida started to reopen early, uh, you know, wages in the private sector started rising and kind of displacing the lost stimulus money from the federal government. And so here we are, this data, by the way, is through April of this year. So about seven, eight months since the last stimulus check went out the door, personal income never fell back to trend. It's it's still way above trend. Yeah, it's, way and it's growing because we're adding back jobs and wages are rising very rapidly. And so you have a very strong U.S. consumer with a lot of dollars ready to spend. And, you know, by the way, they saved a lot of money. They paid off credit cards. They improved their, you know, household you know, finances and things like that as well. And so... You know, I, I'm not saying this guarantees anything, right? I mean, it, it's a weird time uh, with, with the recession, you know, uh, talk and, and, and reopening and supply chain problems. But, you know, at, at least from a demand perspective, people have the dollars. It, it's, it's all about, you know, is there a product for them to buy or, or not, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, and so that's, that's I, I think supply chain problems are really a bigger issue for consumer spending, you know, actually having things on the shelf to purchase. Uh, more so than, you know, people not having the dollars to buy what they want. So this is a totally different problem than what we had after 08, 09. We're actually set up in a lot better way. This is the kind of the silver lining from all the inflation is people have, you know, uh, much better finances this time around. That's, yeah. And this this is why I like having this conversation. Because like, like I say, you always, you know, people get scared or just, maybe misinterpreted things on on news or it's everywhere on a recession on recession talk or inflation talk but looking under the numbers here's some silver lining it's uh, you know and people have money and and personal income's going up so that's different than any other recessions is what you're kind of saying and sums up this slide yeah exactly right and you know why we should care about this as investors is well hey when people are going to continue to go out and spend money that means that corporate profits are going to continue to rise. Profits and interest rates are the two major components for asset valuation. 
rising profits are good for the equity market, uh, you know, and, and things like that. And so, yeah. okay. at least from the consumer spending perspective, things look, are looking fairly good in the United States. Good, good to hear. Okay. So, you know, with that, let's talk about, you know, another kind of major trend here. And, and you know, I, I know we mentioned, hey, that, that recession that's possibly going to happen and Q2 might be negative and and I want to tell you, you know, a, a couple of reasons why I don't think we're going to have a recession in 2022, at least in the United States. Like the rest of the world is is in trouble, especially Europe. Okay. No question about that. Um, but you know, I'm just kind of focusing on the U.S. here, and I think a lot of the negative kind of charts that you see out there, a lot of the bad news that's going around, uh, can kind of be explained by this chart right here. And what this is, okay, is services as a percent of US personal consumption spending. And so, you know, there's kind of two big buckets when you talk about people spending money in the US, there's goods and then there's services, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, things versus experiences. And before the pandemic started, people spent about 70% uh, of their money on services. That was what dominated people's consumption. And, and okay. you know, obviously we get lockdowns, we get the early days of the pandemic, you see the collapse that happens here in the service sector. And for good reason, right? Cruise ships are shut down. You can't go to a bar. You can't go to a restaurant. There's no football games, you know, go on and on down the list. It's services that get shut down. And meanwhile, we're all at home and we're buying a bunch of goods on Amazon. Yeah. Right? And, and so. Yeah. All upgrading our homes years, or doing whatever, but we couldn't go out to have a beer. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and so, you know, 20 years of the upward trend in services basically gets erased overnight. And people always are asking, hey, you know, what, how do we get back to normal or what does normal look like? And at least in my opinion, normal basically means we return to pre-pandemic consumption preferences, right? People start spending their money on services just like they did before COVID happened. And so, you know, you can see on this chart, services bounces off the, the, the bottom there a little bit. Uh, in 2021, after the vaccines come out, people feel a little more comfortable. Yep. But then we get different variants of COVID, right? And and a lot of states did shut down anyway. And so we never saw the full recovery happen. But it looks like it is happening now, right? I mean, go to an airport. Airports are completely slammed. People are traveling. Restaurants are are packed. So it looks like people are getting back to normal finally. You know, we're 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 finally going in that direction. And that kind of brings me to, you know, the recession talk, right? And, and so there's no doubt about it. There, there's a lot of negative uh, kind of pieces of data out there that you, you can find that supports the argument for a recession. And you know, I'm not even saying, hey, it's 100% not going to happen. No. I would vote that it isn't going to, but things are very uncertain right now. So yeah. I, I don't want to sound flippant about it. Uh, but, you know, a lot of times when you look at, at those charts and the data that, that they come from, a lot of it has to do with the goods sector, okay? And so a great example is the stock market freaked out uh, a few weeks ago when we got Target and Walmart's earnings. Yeah. People are not going to the retailers and buying goods as much anymore, right? And so my personal opinion is, hey, we probably are having a recession. It's just only in the goods sector. Okay. And so it's important to keep in mind that services are about two and a half times the size as goods in the US consumption spending data. And so you can have goods go into recession and still have the overall economy grow as long as services are growing. I think that's probably what's happening here. 
And, uh, you know, if, if we want to get even more wonky with it and kind of down in the weeds, uh, which I think is actually kind of useful to do in this case, typically I wouldn't do it. Uh, when we look at that Q1 GDP report that was negative, okay, personal consumption spending, business investment, home building, all these kind of major categories were all quite strong in Q1. What actually brought us into the negative was net exports, okay? There's a category called net exports. And, you know, the reason why that was a huge negative was, you know, it's gross domestic product. Yeah. We can't count things that are from outside of the country in that number. In Q1, we were buying lots and lots of imports okay. from abroad. You had strong U.S. consumers. They were just buying things from China or wherever else that were showing up on all those ships that were backed up at the port of Los Angeles. <laughs> okay. And so you have to then subtract those imports out of the data. And so this causes a big negative in the data. It caused GDP to go negative in Q1. And so I give all that detail to say, okay, we import lots of goods in the United States, right? But you know what we don't import are accountants or bartenders or you know go down the list, right? Services are provided locally in the United States. And so to the extent that we're seeing a shift back towards services and away from goods, and by the way, we just got data on this this morning and it showed a big drop in goods spending and a big increase in services spending. So kind of confirmation of this theory uh, that should help deal with that net exports component that brought us negative uh, in Q1. So if I, I'm kind of just repeating what, trying to understand what you're saying on this. And, and so, <laughs> sorry if I'm trying to repeat what you're saying, but, th but this is good news. So but if I'm hearing you right, then before pandemic, we this chart is saying most people spent their about 70% or just about 70% of their um, consumer their dollars on services and that completely changed during the pandemic and in still is lagging and is still quite off the high is that what that's still showing is still off the high of the services and that's going to what save hopefully or kind of get back in line this whole you know recession or not recession talk and is it fair to say that you know in your guys's opinion your opinion that this whole recession is there's different ways to to kind of report a recession or there's more indicators other than just gross domestic product, right? Or GDP. There's a lot of other things going on that you have to look at to really see the true health of the economy. I say, yeah, that right? I think that's a good synopsis for sure. And, you know, I, also as investors, right, what you care about when it comes to recession, you know, when, yeah. when that happens, why is that typically bad? What it typically means is profits go down because people yeah. stop spending money. Right. In this case, you know, we haven't seen any sign of that part of the recession occurring. It's been kind of these weird, you know, yeah. uh, adjustments for net exports or inventories that seem to be pulling down the data, not those core factors like consumer spending or business investment sure. uh, that are causing uh, negative headwinds. And so, you know, overall, uh, you know, this, this seems to be a recession that's less worrisome, even if we get it kind of from a technical sense for investors, because it doesn't seem like it's going to have as big of an impact on earnings as what like a traditional recession would have. Got it. Got it. At least not in 2022. Right. I mean, who knows what's going to happen yeah. in the next couple of years, but yeah, for this sure. year I think we're going to be okay. Gotcha. Okay. Oh, that's good. Good that's, info. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, guys, I, I, I feel like that, that kind of wraps up like the, the big, the big picture here is, you know, when we talk about the equity markets, right. And how we get a rebound, how do we get a new bull market here? 
you know, it's all about profits and interest rates. And so far, profits look like they're holding up fine. You know, consumers are still spending money. They're shifting their spending towards services and away from goods. But overall, spending is still going up. Uh, and, and at the same time, you know, you've got signs that the inflation situation is going to improve in 2022. We're not going to get back to 2%. Longer term, we have inflationary problems uh, probably for years, right? But we're going to make progress. And that's going to take a lot of the uh, the urgency off of the Federal Reserve to keep hiking interest rates until something breaks. Uh, and so, you know, if rates don't keep surging like they've been surging, and it seems like, you know, they probably won't, yeah. uh, that, that means we've seen, you know, most of the increase in rates that we're going to see, uh, and we might even see rates start to moderate. Well, that means, hey, interest rates are going to be falling and, and profits are going to be rising. That's a good kind of basis for the market to bounce back. And so, Overall, I think the second half of this year is probably going to be better than the first half of the year. I think most of the scare in rates has already happened. Uh, and I think the economy is going to continue to grow at least through the end of 2022. That's yeah, that's great insight, man. I really appreciate that. I know uh, I know you're, you're busy and a lot. So I really appreciate you coming on and kind of peeling back the onion, if you will, on really what's going on and all these these big headlines. Um one quick question, just, uh, you know, you've kind of hit on all the questions I think I had and that uh, investors like my clients are asking. Um, last question, just kind of like in regards to the housing market, not 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 like our, is it overpriced or anything, but with interest rates and then housing market, how is that affecting, going to affect the economy? Because, you know, it's, it's kind of known that the housing sector, new homes, new home buyers are all kind of a good uh, starter of the economy. Is that going to affect you know, the economy at all? Or how does that play into it with, with this? Yeah. So there's, there's so much going on with the housing market and, uh, you know, it's one of my beats, honestly, I write about housing. like okay. times. Uh, so I actually got the right guy for the yeah, question, perfect. I guess, but, um, <laughs> you know, th there's a lot of different stuff going on there I on one hand. Okay. We're in an inflationary environment. And so anytime that that happens, what you see is a flight to real assets okay. and away from financial assets. And yeah. so, for example, mortgage rates are at like 6% or whatever they're at today, right? But housing prices are still going up double digit percentage rates. Most people would not have expected this to happen. I, I would have expected housing prices to slow down yeah. much more than what we've seen. And so what it tells me is, and there's data to say that this is true, we're seeing a lot of investor purchases, right? Investors okay. are selling tech stocks yeah. or they're, you know, kind of uh, getting out of their financial assets and they're moving into things like real estate. Yep. That's a real asset, right? It's called real estate. Yeah. Uh, and also <laughs> commodities would be another example of like an asset class that's outperformed during this entire market, you know, turmoil, you know, period. Well, that's a real asset, right? You're yeah. talking about oil yeah. or grain or, or whatever else. And so, you know, the Fed has been talking a lot about what they call the reverse wealth effect. Okay. That's how they want to help get inflation down. I do not believe in this theory. Also, I'll, I'll start by saying that. But, you know, what's interesting is the idea is, hey, you know, we get stock prices to come down. People's paper wealth gets lower. They won't spend as much money because they don't feel as financially okay. secure. That's the wealth. Most effect. people do not have a brokerage account in the United States. If you are watching this video, you are in a small <laughs> minority of people that has a brokerage account. Most people's wealth is in their house that they own. Okay. Yeah. And that is the biggest asset most households have. And so the fact that we haven't seen any decrease in housing prices yet, well, that is, uh, you know, 
uh, a big check mark against the Fed's reverse wealth effect, okay. slowing down inflation, I guess. Uh, but what I would also say here is there's big supply and demand factors at work in the housing market and, and how strong it's been yeah. you know, from a price perspective, right? On one hand, you've got supply massively constrained by lack of labor, expensive commodities and inputs, supply chain problems, you know, the difference between housing starts and housing completions has never been wider. It takes a much longer period of time than normal to complete homes. Okay. Uh, and the other side of things, you've got the millennial generation aging into their home buying years. They now outnumber the baby boomers. They're the largest living generation in U.S. history. They're buying houses in mass. And so, you know, you mentioned, hey, there's there's kind of this like demographic group that's really good for the economy. It's people like 30 to 50 years old, let's yeah. just say, right? Uh, and that's because that's when you make all the biggest purchases in your life. Houses, uh, you know, cars, furniture. Yeah, you name it. These are the yeah. strongest consumers. And so if you look at the demographic data from like the Census Bureau, for example, the number of people aged 30 to 50 in the United States has been flat for the past 20 years. It hasn't grown at all okay. because- Baby boomers were, were, you know, kind of retiring out of the data or, you know, aging out of that, that category and millennials weren't old enough to be counted in it yet. Well, now that that sector of people is set to boom by about 25% over oh, the wow. next couple of decades. And so, yeah, to whatever degree you believe in like the demographic story on economic growth and kind of prosperity. Yeah. It, I mean, that's a tailwind for the that's economy huge. for the yeah. next couple of decades. Okay. You know, you're not going to see it from year to year, but it is it is a, a good thing for the long term trend to look at. Region, but yeah, that's also a huge form of demand for, for houses for the foreseeable future. Okay. Yeah. So you've got demand is still way above supply in the housing market. That's another reason why prices have, have remained so strong. Well, that's no, that's uh, that's a good insight. So, thanks for sharing that, and I'll direct people to to your beat on uh, what you write about it too. So, um, well, hey man, thanks again for for coming on. Um, I appreciate your time and sharing some insights on the economy and the markets as a whole. So, um, look forward to talking with you soon, hopefully. Absolutely, Ryan. Anytime we can help out, just let me know. I'd be happy to chat again. All right, sounds good. You have a good weekend here, Bryce. Thank you. Yep, you too. Enjoy the Fourth of July weekend here. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. You too. High Point Capital Group is located at 1200 North Mayfair Road, Suite 300, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53226. Phone number 414-253-4600. Securities and investment advisory services offered through SagePoint Financial, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. SagePoint Financial is separately owned in other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of SagePoint Financial. Views expressed here should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned here. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. 
indexes are unmanaged and investors are not able to invest directly into any index. Sector investing may involve a greater degree of risk than investments with broader diversification. However, there is no guarantee that a diversified portfolio alone will outperform a non-diversified portfolio in any given market environment. No investment strategy, such as asset allocation, can guarantee a profit or protect against loss in periods of declining values. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, information should only be relied upon and coordinated with individual professional advice. Ryan Hitchcock believes the information presented here is accurate and was obtained from sources that are believed to be reliable. However, Ryan does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information, and such information may be subject to change without notice from Ryan. Statements expressed by guests on this podcast are the views of those guests only and not of Ryan Hitchcock. Statements contained in this podcast may be statements of future expectations and other forward-looking statements that are based on Ryan Hitchcock's or guest current views and assumptions and involve known and or unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results, performance, or events to differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements.